0: Alright, good morning, everybody. It looks like, uh, looks like my wife is watching and my mom. That's about it. Oh, hey, Jim Grassi. Small Axe. Small Axe, what's happening? Ryan H., The Rebel. Preacher! What's happening, guys? Welcome, everyone, to uh, another Sunday Funday with your host, Marty Leeds, teacher of the mysteries and preacher of the heart. You are listening to the Noster Church Academy of Lord Jesus Christ, and I thank you all for joining me once again. Uh, I really appreciate everybody that shows up uh, every... Lucy Short, I'm short myself, and myself. Oh, you too. You're here. Okay. Uh, I really appreciate everybody that shows up every Sunday. Uh, Last Sunday, we had a good service. We do service every Sunday, 9 o'clock a.m. Central Standard Time, if you're listening on the podcast and you want to join us live. I thought we had a pretty good service last, uh, last, last Sunday. It was Easter, and got a lot of really good responses from you know from the message and everything that we, we covered so uh, hopefully today will be another good one. Today we're going to do Mark chapter 7. So we've we've done all the way up from 1 2 3 4 5 6 and we looked at the astrology, we looked at some of the you know the gematria in there, some of the um, philosophy of course. Um, all the anagogic mysteries within those chapters. And, I, and so I was like, you know what, let's just go and do Mark chapter 7. Um, there's a pretty good parable in here, and there's a, there's a bunch of astrology as well, too, that we will cover. So um, you are a member now, and so excited. You've always been a member. We're all a member of the Church of Christ. That's the lesson that we learned. You don't have to sign anything. You don't have to, like, go and scrawl your name in blood. You don't have to pay me any money. You don't even ha- you don't have to buy a book or anything like that. You don't even have to have a Bible, you're even, and you're already in the Church of Christ. You don't need to go and buy, though you should, you don't need to go and buy Lord Jesus Christ from Marty Leans. Um, but speaking of, I do. we do have, um, as far as we know anyway, we do have more Bibles and rosaries coming. We've already sold out the next 10 that we've ordered. So there's only going to be another 20 after that because um, it's hard to get them actually because the rosaries are, they're custom. So, and it takes them a while to make them. It's just what it is, what it is, but it is what it is and it ain't what it ain't and there's nothing do about it. Um, but you can get Lord Jesus Christ, um, the book at GnosticAcademy.org. You can get the new version of The Peacock's Tales, The Alchemical Writings of Claudia Pavonis. Excuse me, I don't mean to block my, my mouth here. Uh, all at GnosticAcademy.org. So, okay. Let's get into it. Let's do the prayer. And then we're going to read all of chapter seven and we'll just pick it apart line by line like we do. And there's a, there's a lot in here. And of course we're, you know, this is going to be sort of a surface level exploration of this. In, in, in some respects anyway um, but I think we'll learn a lot so a bunch of astrology here and it's really interesting that the way that they've encoded it so hopefully you'll all understand this but before ooh just as I do the prayer the sun is coming out the light okay Father I know that you supply all my needs according to your riches in glory help me to remember that when I put others ahead of you help me to remember that when I put others ahead of you remind me that I'm not to put my trust on man but in you Man cannot love me like you do. Man cannot understand me the way that you do. Only you know my heart. Only you know what I need. I thank you for your abiding love for me. Amen. And um, that's really what we're going to talk about today is the purification of the heart and how really this is the this is one of the keys to uh, salvation is basically purification of the heart. Mm-hmm. I wonder if those people know that I'm doing a church service here. Is that guy praying in his car? What's going on? That's a a dedicated guy. Okay, so uh, that's what we're going to talk about today, is purification of the heart. That's really what uh, chapter 7 is all about. So uh, let's get into it, and let's uh, start. This is Mark chapter 7, numero uno. Then came together, as they always do, as they always do, whenever there's light in the world... The Pharisees and the scribes get together and they try to snuff it out, as they always do. So, then came together unto him, of course that's Jesus, the Pharisees, and certain of the scribes. Now, as we know, who are the scribes? The scribes are the Jews that are scribbling, scribing, writing out the Torah, because that's how the Torah, before printing presses came around, that's how you passed on the Bible. And that's We should still do that today, by the way, but uh, you, you wrote it out. And so they still do this, by the way. So those Pharisees and the scribes, they came together and they came from Jerusalem. And when they saw some of the disciples, so they saw the disciples with Christ eat bread with defiled, that is to say, with unwashing, look at this punctuation, how specific and and, uh, this punctuation is put in here to point to certain things, okay? And you'll see it right away. And when they saw some of the disciples eat bread with defiled, Comma, that is to say, with unwashing, comma, hands, comma. Just through the punctuation, they're saying, hey, focus on the hands. Focus on the hands. And we'll see the hands once again. As we've seen before, how many times there's a reference to Jesus' hands. Laying on the hands. He goes and, you know, touch me with your hands. He heals the guy with the withered hand. Here we have, just in the punctuation, there's no reason to have a comma there. None at all. With unwashing hands should be grammatically correct. That's not what they did, though. Why? because they're trying to make you focus on hands, okay? With file, that is to say, unwashed hands. So there, Jesus is eating with a bunch of dudes, and they didn't wash their hands before they ate. For the Pharisees and all the Jews, except they wash their hands off, eat not, holding the tradition of the elders, okay? So whenever they go to eat, they make sure to wash their hands. And this is the tradition that they've always held and... Um, and so we're going to see that oh these these disciples in Christ and all these other people they're not washing their hands and they're defiled is that that's what the Jews think, and when they come from the market, except they wash they eat not and so unless they wash the hands they don't eat, and many other things there be, which they have received to hold as the washing of cups and pots, brass and vessels and tables. So basically they're always cleaning everything. Everything is sanit- sanitizing externally. They're sanitizing everything. They're washing the pots and the cups. And they're, you know, they're washing their hands before they eat, right? They're really afraid of um, SARS-CoV-2 uh, is basically what's up. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, these the scribes and Pharisees, they're asking Jesus, why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders? Why aren't you, as a Jew, teaching all these people the tradition of our elders? But you eat bread with unwashed hands. So you didn't wash your hands. Okay, now once again, what is the symbolism of what's happening here? Um, Good day all to you, Mr. Will. Interverse Podcast, welcome. PPOP314, ooh, ooh, hey, looking pretty good. Pineapple Man, what's up? What is the symbolism here? They're washing external things. Tables and pots and vessels and cups and their hands externally, right? And we're going to see the difference between internal and external here, Okay. And Jesus answered them and said unto them, Well hath Esaias prophesied of you hypocrites, as it is written. So in Isaiah, the, we'll see this in just a second. In the book of Isaiah, they prophesied the Messiah, the coming of Christ. And essentially what happens? So in, in the Old Testament, they prophesied the coming of Christ. Okay? This is an important thing. And what most people don't understand with the Old Testament and New Testament, and hence why there will eternally be a conflict between Jews and Christians until the Jews learn the golden rule. Um so, good luck with that one. So, um, the, they prophesized. the Jews prophesized a Messiah. And who is that Messiah? Well, that's Christ. He showed up. They prophesied the Messiah. Then the Messiah shows up. And then the Messiah told them things that they didn't want to hear. And so they're like, no, you're bad. We need to, <laughs> we need to you know, or hate on you and hate your whole tradition and that sort of thing. So in the book of Isaiah, and this is Isaiah, is what it's a reference to, prophesied of you hypocrites. So Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites, as it is written in the book, these people, this people honor with me with their lips, but their heart, their heart, their impure heart is far from me. So externally, they're like, oh, yes, Jesus, you're such a good man and stuff like that. But inside they were ravening wolves. Inside they had just hate and covetousness and just envy and all of those sorts of things. And then Jesus goes on and rebukes them even more. He's like, not only are you guys a bunch of hypocrites, but he says, "Howbeit in vain do they worship me? Your, your worshiping is idol worship. It's vanity. Teaching for doctrines the commandments of men, not the commandments of God. Your tradition of your elders is teaching the commandments of men. You do everything because of the rituals and traditions of your elders. of of things that men have come up with over time. Not anything that has anything really to do with God. He even goes on to rebuke them further. He says, for laying aside the commandment of God, which is exactly what you Pharisees and scribes and Jews are doing, even today, ye hold, you hold the tradition of men, not of God. You hold tradition of men, of washing of pots and cups and many other such like things you do. He goes on to say, And he said unto them, Full well ye reject the commandment of God, that may ye, ye may keep your own tradition. You reject God just so you can keep your own vain, narcissistic, self-righteous tradition that's based off the traditions of men. not has a, nothing to do with what God wants of you, of us. Nothing. Okay? So let's stop there. So Jesus is telling these people, You are not employing Gnosticism. That's what said. in one sense, this is what he's saying, because what is a Gnostic? As we covered in the live stream, what is Gnosticism? You know, we covered the esoteric nature of, of all of the claims about what Gnostics believe. There's a demiurge and, and matters evil. We talked about the esoteric nature of this, but one of the, and, and so how that's all misconstrued and things like that, and how we don't teach any of that stuff at all here. Anyway, um, one of the things that that is key to the Gnostic approach is that you seek out your communion directly with God. You don't go to men for their explanation of stuff. You don't be like, well, this is the Orthodox tradition. This is how all, the Catholics always did it. And this is how, you know, this is how those Jews over here, they always wash the cups, so that's what I got to do. So as a Gnostic, you don't reject those things. You just say, I am not necessarily going to follow those because a bunch of men told me so. Because those, those men are not my authority. God is my authority. I seek communion with him. So, the various Gnostic groups emphasize personal spiritual knowledge above the orthodox teaching, traditions, and authority of religious institutions. This is, the, this is one of the keys of Gnosticism, okay? Gnosticism, Gnosis, spiritual knowledge. That's what it is, okay? Above the orthodox traditions, above any authority, quote unquote authority, religious institutions. This is exactly what Jesus is saying. He's like, You're holding the tradition of the elders. You're holding the traditions of uh, religious authorities. That's what you're doing. Has nothing to do with God, has nothing to do with actual gnosis, nothing to do with true spiritual knowledge. It's external. That's all it is. We're not seeking the externalities. Okay. We're seeking the internal. That's why he says, um, uh where does he say here? He says Oh, yeah. You know, this this uh where it says Where is it now? Where he says uh you reject um you reject but not in their heart. No, oh, I oh, I lost it. Oh my lord. Sorry. Oh yes, this p pe- I'm sorry. Uh, seven Mark seven six. This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and that's going to be the key. So they they're following the traditions of men. Okay, they're not seeking out the truth in their hearts. Okay, and this is what Gnostics do. This is the middle verse of the Bible, Psalms one eighteen eight. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in the man. In man, it is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes or men. Man. So you're putting your trust in the Lord. This is the center verse of the Bible. And it's basically saying, be wary of the traditions of men. Because those traditions are grown year after year after year. And those people follow those traditions and those rituals and they do them. And they don't even know what they mean. And they'll just follow them to to continue to perpetuate their own, once again, narcissistic tradition. We're Catholics. We're the Protestants. We have the right way. We're the Orthodox people over here. We're the Jews. We have all the stuff. We have all the right things has nothing to do with what God wants of us. This is what hap- this is what the this is the Talmud. <laughs> the following the tradition of the elders is essentially the Talmud. Now the Talmud is the oral laws of Judaism. It's the tradition of men. It's basically what a bunch of rabbis have said over time about the Torah and then they people wrote them down and then they follow this as if it's gospel truth. Okay? So you Moses had the laws that were given to him that he wrote down in the story, in the myth, of course, right? That he wrote down, and this is the five, you know, the Torah, the five books of Moses handed down from on high. This was a Kabbalistic revelation. It was a gift from on high. He wrote them down. Then all of these traditions of elders and men came along and be like, oh, I've got some ideas. Let me, let me say some things about this and I'll write some stuff down now. And then that gets codified into a bunch of books that are like now these are you know these are sacred texts now okay and of course what is this what's all in this sacred well we know at least one of the things that they mention in the Talmud is that Jesus is boiling in a pot of defecation so so that's what so you wonder why Jesus was rebuking the traditions of elders and men so this is this is what was happening he's saying look you're following your own narcissistic vain beliefs. It's nothing to do with God. So he says, Isaiah, and Isaiah was the Hebrew prophet who was believed to have lived about 700 years before Christ, et cetera, et cetera. Who knows? Isaiah prophesied the coming of the Messiah Christ. He was believed to have, I'm not going to read this through this. This is something we could talk about at some other time, but he was believed to have written the chapters 1 through 39. Okay. And so he prophesied Christ's coming. So, okay. So what does he go on to say? He says, For Moses said, So this is where your tradition comes from, by the way, right? Moses said, honor thy father and thy mother. And whoso curseth father or mother, let him die the death. If you're cursing your mother and father, be gone with you. You you deserve the death, if you will, okay? So Moses said this, but your tradition, your vain, you know, theological supremacist tradition, right, your tradition, not what Moses was saying. Moses was saying, honor the father and the mother. Your tradition, though, if a man shall say to his father or, or mother, it is a Corbin, that is to say a gift, by whatsoever thou might might mightest be profited by me, he shall be free. And ye suffer him no more to do aught for his mother or father. Essentially what he's saying is, when you suffer means you tolerate him to do aught, means essentially nothing at all, anything at all, for his mother or his father. So... Moses was saying, essentially, I'll break this down and make this palatable or whatever, right? Um, Moses was saying, honor your mother and father, but your tradition is what he's saying is that you're doing nothing for your mother and father. Nothing. You're not honoring them at all. You're not honoring God. You're not honoring your mother and father. This is actually one of the uh, um, sort of biblical notes, um, commentaries on this. It says, basically, you're do, you do well in rejecting God others like skillfully and cunningly you show great cunning or art in laying aside God's commandments and substituting in their place those of men which is exactly what Christ is saying so that's essentially breaking down in layman's terms that's what is being said here so then he goes on further he says making the word of God of none effect the word of God is absolutely vacant in your tradition The the living word of God, the thing that flows through all these plants and makes the wind, gives voice to the wind and the soil and makes the sun do its turn above our flat earth. All of the the order and the design and the living force of God that flows through everything, it's completely abandoned, void and vacant in your stupid, men-following, vain, narcissistic, self-righteous shit. That's right, I said it in a church service tradition. Making the word of God of none effect through your tradition, which ye have delivered. You've delivered your, your vacant, void tradition of God into the now, into contemporary society. And many such like things you do. All the things that you do which have, which are, once again, spiritually void. Have zero heart. And when he had called all the people unto him, he said, hearken, I'll get into that in just a second. So, oh, actually, let's go. Let's keep going. And when he had called uh, all the people unto him, he said unto them, hearken unto me, every one of you and understand. Everybody come here. Every, this is what he's saying. Everybody come here. Listen up. I got something to tell you and this is going to be important. Um. All right. Everybody come around. There is, and then he says this, hearken unto me, every one of you, and understand, there is nothing from without a man, there's nothing from without the external that entering into him can defile him. But the things which come out of him, your actions, your expressions, those sorts of things, those are the things that defile the man. In other words, you can't blame the external environment for the impurities that happen within here. That's all on you, every bit of it. This is what he's saying. Do, you can't put blame into the outside world. And he says again, if any man have ears to hear, let him hear. If you want this truth, listen up. This is the truth beyond truth. It's basically saying it's all on your shoulders. You, and, and it's uh, um, it's your responsibility, in other words. And when he entered into a, into the house, which is, this is an astrological term, and we'll see this in just a second. From the people, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. So they asked him, so the disciples heard him say this, to the crowd, it's like, hey, everything comes from in here. It's not the external that comes in and defiles you. It's all the stuff in here. And then the disciples can be like, wait, what? Wait, what a second? What? Are telling me? But look, look at this crazy, wicked world. They're about, to <laughs> they're about to throw you on a cross, right? You know, they're like, look at this world. They're all, they're all crazy. We got the King Herods over here, and we got the Klaus Schwabs over here. That's all nuts. So it's like Jesus, is like, no. Ultimately, it's the purification comes from in here. And when he was entered into the house, astrological term. From the people, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. They're like, wait, what are you you saying, dude? And he saith unto them, Are you so without understanding also? You don't understand? You're my disciples and you don't understand this? Let me say it again. Do ye not perceive that whatsoever thing from without entereth into the man, it cannot defile him? Those externalities are not the things that are coming in that are defiling you. It's what happens in here that comes out. The actions what you say, what you speak, how much love you bring into the world, or lack thereof is what defiles you. It's it's the the purity of your heart is what he's talking about. And as he was saying, your tradition, you're far from the heart. You're far from it. Because it entereth not into his heart, but into the belly, and goeth, listen to what he says here. This is an extremely cryptic sentence, and we're going to break this apart in just a second. Extremely cryptic. I have yet to see any Christian make any sense of this, and hopefully we'll make some sense of it today. Because it entereth not into his heart, it doesn't enter into the heart here, goes in, doesn't enter into the heart, but into the belly, and goeth out into, listen to what it said here, and goeth out into the draft. Draft there is, a, is I mean, it's a draft. That's like a draft beer, and I'll get into that a second. Purging all meats. Let's read this again. Because it entereth not into his heart, but into the belly, and goeth out into, goeth out into, out and into are two different things, correct? You're going into the house or you're going out of the house. And goeth out into the draft, purging all meats, comma. Or excuse me, uh, expo- uh you know, question mark, purging all meats, question mark? What does that mean? And he said, that which cometh out of the man, that defile the man. And then he goes on to list the things that cometh out of the man. All of those evil impurities of the heart. Okay, We seek to purify that heart and be one with the sacred heart of Christ. And he's saying all the things of the world, you can't blame the external world. You ultimately have to go in here and purify that. You have to take that rough ashlar stone and make it a perfect ashlar stone. You have to take the lead and you got to make some gold. For from within... Out of the heart of men. The, the, the heart is the seed of emotions, really, is what it is. Proceed evil thoughts. Your heart thinks? Your heart thinks? I thought it was your brain that, th- that thinks. I thought it was your brain that does all the thinking. No, your brain is responding to the emotions. Your, your heart is, you know, your, your heart is the one that's thinking the evil thoughts because it's an impure heart. From, for From within, out of the heart, not externally, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, Thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. And so what ultimately he's saying is that we seek the pure heart. All of these things, you can't blame the external world. You have the responsibility. It's how you respond to the external world will ultimately be the purification of your heart. And this is a hard lesson. My Lord. I think this is why it took me so long to put this together yesterday. Because I was like, oh, Jesus. Really? i got to face that now. So I can't blame other people. (laughs) Anyway. It's the impure heart. This is, I mean, it's the weighing of the heart ceremony. It's what it is. At the end of the day, at at the end of your life, your apocalypse, at the end times of your life, when you cross the gates of death, your heart was going to be weighed on a a scale next to the feather of mott which is the law order and truth this is essentially just another expression of the word it's the it's the living force of God that is law order and truth um it's going to be weighed against that and if it's light if it's light as a feather then you get into the afterlife And so in other words if your heart didn't have all of those things the evil thoughts the adulteries, the fornications, the murders, the thefts, the covetous, the wickedness that's all on you. Neville Goddard I think, said it, this might explain, I'm going to give this a shot anyway, might explain better what is being said here when it says this comes from within. It's all about how you decide to respond to situations is really what it is. And he says this, you have to think of creation is finished because that's what the, that's what our good book says even though we are co-creating our reality the creation because we get to co-create what beauty or what good or evil we wish to see what beauty we want to bring out into this already created world in that sense we're co-creators absolutely but the world itself is finished and this is what genesis actually says this is what we covered uh, just a couple live streams ago and you know and then it says this is genesis 2 1 thus the heavens and earth were finished this creation is finished and all the host of them. And now we get to be in this creation, and we get to pull out what we want to see, what we get to give our attention to, how much love we want to express into the world. And that's all on you. God put that on our shoulders. So there's nothing to come that has not been and is. This is what Neville Goddard was saying. There's nothing to come that has not been and is. So look upon creation as finished, and you and I are only selectors of that which is. By selectors, I mean that you and I have the privilege. We may not exercise that privilege, but we do have the privilege. But it is our privilege to seek that aspect of reality to which we will respond. And in responding to it, we bring it into existence for ourselves. And this is a highly mystical notion that and it's a hard lesson, is that basically, you know, if you you know, if you see if you see pain and suffering always in the world, it's going to be reflected back into you. Okay. Um This is, we covered this too just in the the other live stream, on the Easter live stream, about saying, doing something or saying something three times, and that negative or positive energy that you put out to the world will come back kind of thing. Not knowing that we are so privileged, we simply go through the world reflecting the circumstances of life, not realizing we have the power to create or to outpicture the circumstances of life. And it's really self-empowerment. He says 99% of the world waits for things to happen on the outside, and then they reflect and that's no accomplishment at all. And that's in in a sense that's what happens. We wait to see what the news says and then we then we then we say something. And then we re- we're always kind of, you know, being like looking at the outside world and being like, "Oh, this is what's happening and now I'm, uh, you know, responding to it." As opposed to just being like, "No, I'm an outflow love. I'm an outflow what I want to see into the world." Okay? Um if we would awaken and become real selectors of the beauty of this garden that God gave us, so that we can single out that particular aspect to which we will respond. Okay. Once again, it's just this idea of it's how we respond to these things. It's how we, you know, we can see all this pain and suffering in the world. We can either be compassionate, or we could be like, yeah, I'm just gonna go. It doesn't see all the suffering in the world. I'm just gonna go and, you know, blah 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 blah. And it's all on you. It's um. This is this is a good one. It says, it is easier to ascribe your feeling to events in the world than to admit that the conditions of the world reflect your feeling. However, it is eternally true that the outside mirrors the inside, as within, so without. Okay? This is, and this is essentially kind of what he's saying, you know? All of those evil things come from within. You can't blame the external world. You can't be like, well, it's all out here. No, ultimately, it's what you decide to do. How much of that heart you're going to purify. I must take my own mind my own thoughts of the heart <laughs> and control it. Take my wonderful imagination and actually control it and set it to noble purposes and not have some intermedi- intermediary come between myself and God. He's essentially saying the same thing that Christ is saying. You're following traditions of the elders. You're saying you have to go to some rabbi over here, some guru, sage, this guy over here, and he's got the answers, and this is how we've always done it. And Goddard's saying the same thing as Christ. is like, no, you've got the you've got the direct connection, right? For the God of this world is an internal God, okay? He is the inevitable force that expresses in outward facts the latent tendencies of the soul. And so if I would discover that God, I cannot have you do my work for me, I cannot have you eat my spiritual food and expect to grow spiritually. You have to do the work by yourself. This is what Christ is saying in, in one respect. I think this is what he's saying. That that purification of the heart, that's all on you, Okay. Um, think about Jesus. We just covered this at Easter. Think about Jesus. How, you know, he could have reacted when Jesus was brought up to the external degeneracy of King Herod and the scribes and the Pharisees and all the crowd. That's like, ah! Did, did Jesus, did, was any ounce of Christ's heart impure in that moment? No, he just, didn't, he just didn't say anything. He's like, I already know what all of this is. I can see it plain as day. You're all degenerate. You're all a bunch of psychopaths and sociopaths and murderers and ignorant and foolish and you're full of covetousness and lasciviousness. I see it all and you are not, this external is not going to get in here and impure that heart, impurify that heart, defile that heart. I was, uh, so I, I guess this was happening. I just caught wind of this the other day that Johnny Depp is on trial. And so as I was putting this together, I saw this, it was a few comments and it goes pretty well with this. It actually makes sense here. It says, when a goofy and silly person takes drugs and alcohol, they don't get violent. They just get sillier and more dumb. Usually drugs don't make someone violent unless somebody was already violent. The violence was already in their heart. The silliness, the goofiness was already in their heart. All of that stuff was already in. You can't be like, well, the alcohol out here, I put it down here and that's what defiled me. Nope. You can't make that. you You can't blame that externality. That's all on you you're not the victim. I mean, you can't play the victim. Is basically what God's saying. I don't excuse alcoholism or drug abuse in fair play to him for battling his addictions and eventually rising above it. This is what some of the comments were saying. But I am simply not convinced that alcohol or drugs make violent people. They simply remove people's inhibitions and expose the worst traits in people who are simply violent by nature. If you aren't a violent person, then I doubt being intoxicated is going to dramatically change that. Never did with me in the case of alcohol. And that's the idea. Oh, this alcohol, I drank these six beers and then I got violent. No, that violence was already in you and you have to do your spiritual work to go in there and find out that impurity and purify it. I think that's what's being said there. So, does everybody catch that? What about when he cleaned out the temple of the money changers? Where's the temple, silver rose? Where's the temple? You have to understand the esoteric, metaphysical nature there. Christ is cleaning out, right? That's what he's doing. He's, he's pulling over, he's dipping over the tables. He's like, oh, what are you doing in here? Were you worrying about money all the time? We. I'll, I'll have to go into that at some point. Great. Uh, great lesson in, in that story too. So, okay. So I want to break apart. We've got a lot to cover here, but I want to break apart this line here. Okay. Cause it's very cryptic. And when you see this, hopefully I can explain this. So he says, "Okay, entering into the man, it cannot defile him. What you put into your mouth, and it goes through your esophagus in your in your throat here, and it goes down into your belly, passes the heart, goes right past the heart, goes into the belly here, and then it goes out one way or the other. It goes out your poop or or you you puke it up. Right? That's what that's what he's saying. Anything that goes in, you're going to pur- purge. By the way, is a is a purification." When you purge, you're purifying. When your body is sick, it's like, oh, I need to get these toxins out of me. I'm gonna, gonna, they're gonna go out this way or they're gonna go out that way, right? And you'll see this is exactly what they're saying. This is exactly what they're saying. Because it entereth not into his heart, you take the things in, it's already in here. You've got to deal with this stuff in here. It enters into the belly, goeth into the draft. Out into, out into, out into the draft. Purging, purging all meats. What does this mean? Okay, let's look at the word draft. Now, if you look at biblical commentary, they will tell you that draft means a toilet, latrine. And that's exactly what he's saying. It's like, go. basically, you're taking meat, spirit, which is, of course, meat in the archaic sense is, um, I think I have this here. Yes, I do. Meat in the archaic sense is the flesh of an animal, of course, but it's food of any kind. So whenever we talk about meat, we're you know we're talking about a spiritual sustenance, right? And so you take take things in. There's a purification. Takes that's what your body does. It's a purifying vessel, right? You take in the food. You takes the nutrients that it needs and gets rid of the junk. Okay. So when you, when they talk about meat, there. So here, sorry, getting some sun here now. Oh my God! Is it? Is there sun? Is it happening? It's been it's been chemtrail and cloudy for. It seems like six months now. It's probably only been a month and a half, but Jesus. So a draft is a latrine or a toilet, and they even they're even this once again biblical commentary. If you go to like I think this comes from Bible Hub, Um, and he saith unto him, Are you so without understanding? Also, he's they're even quoting the same verse here and saying, Look, they're talking about latrine or a toilet. Okay, closet sink. It's also a draft house, a draft house. A place that you go to the toilet is also called a water house called Mishnah and a water house. All right? Draft house and Mishnah, water house. Okay, so just think about that. A draft, so the, the word draft has a bunch of different words. Or excuse me, a bunch of different definitions. And once again, when you look at how specific the word choices were when they go, go to the Bible, just like when we did in, you know, well, just like we've done again and again. When you look at the specific word choices, you realize that they're they're making these so that they have multiple different meanings, that they're poly... Valent is that the word? Many symbols, many meanings. So draft also means a cold burst of wind. What do you do? With, what do you do when you fart? He's talking about taking stuff in. It and there's a cold. Heat. You're in a waterhouse, a toilet, a latrine, and then now you've got a draft. It's a cold burst of wind. Okay. It's also the act of pulling a heavy load. Okay. So draft, just like D R A U G H T, is denoting an animal used for pulling heavy loads. So this specific word was chosen for multiple meanings and goeth out into the draught, purging all meats. Where does it go? It goes into the belly. Okay. So we know what the the belly, right? So the belly is is, we'll just say this. The belly in the zodiac man is the virgin. Okay? Virgo the virgin is is your abdomen, your liver, which your liver is a purifying. Uh, organ, right? It's your abdomen. It's your stomach here, right? You go into your right here. So he's talking about going into the belly and what ultimately is the message here? Purification. That's what the message is. Purging. Okay. And he's also also talking about how they're so far from their heart, the heart of Christ. So it goes into the belly and what happens? Oh, there's a purification process. Okay. But they're also mentioning the four fixed signs of the Zodiac in this. A draft goeth out into the draft. Let's read it again. Goeth out into the draft. The draft is the Taurus. It's an oxen, a draft oxen. Your Taurus is your neck. So when you eat something, it goes into your mouth and what does it do? It goes right down your esophagus into your neck and it goes past the heart. It doesn't entereth into the heart. It doesn't even enter into here. It goes straight into the belly and purifies. What's the heart? Leo is the heart. So you have Taurus which is your neck here, taking it goeth out into, into, into Leo, the heart past the heart and it goes into the belly. Now the belly is Virgo, but we're going to see in here in the reference, the belly is the Scorpio and I'll show you why in just a second. And then of course it goes into the draft house. You go to the, it's going into out, out into, into out the draft. So the draft is mentioning two parts of the body here, of course, right? the draft being literally your excretions and into. So when you purge something, what do you do? You either puke it up or you poop it out. And that's exactly what he's referencing here. Going into the stomach, going out or out, okay? Purging all meats. And then there's a question mark saying, what the heck am I talking about here? Why do you think there's a question mark there? It's a riddle, it's a riddle. So, and we'll sh- I'll show you why Scorpio in just a second. So Taurus is the, the neck, the draft, goes into past the heart of Leo, goes into the Scorpio of belly. I'll show you why the scorpion in just a second. And then there's the water house. You're going to the bathroom and it's a water house. That's the Aquarius. Aquarius, Scorpio, Leo, and Taurus are the four fixed signs of the zodiac. Okay? And this is is the cross. This is the cross. So in other words, what's happening? There's a purging, a purification on the cross. The draft. Draft house, water house. Aquarius, draft, oxen. Taurus, um, Leo, the heart, why Scorpio? So those are the four fixed signs of the Zodiac. Your purification purging on the cross. Why Scorpio? Because Scorpio, the constellation Scorpio points to the center of the milk, the Milky Way, the river of stars. And do you know what that center is? It's a big belly. It's a big bulge. Now belly here is used as a noun, but once again, this, you know, belly in this sense, it's a belly. It's the bulge of the Milky Way. Okay. Okay. Now, this is also, I don't know how many times we've already mentioned this place in the sky in our study here. But so you have, let's go back here. So in this one verse, insanely cryptic, insanely cryptic. Like, what does this mean? Because it entereth not into his heart, doesn't go into his heart, but into the belly and goeth out into, out into the draft purging all meats. Okay, the draft Taurus, the draft, the water house, the in the water house, the Scorpio, the belly of the Milky Way and Leo, the heart. So the four fixed signs are shown right, right in that verse. Okay. Now, one more thing. What is the Zodiac ultimately? What is it? Well, I mean, you know, it's like Crow Triple Seven and those guys, they call it a sky clock, right? That's exactly what it is. It's a sky clock. Okay. So then we do the gematria total of because it entereth not into his heart but into the belly and goeth out into the draft purging all meats. The gematria total of that is 384. It's 384. Do you know what that is? It's 13 synodic lunar months. Synodic Lunar Month is 29.53 days. 13 of those months is 384. This is actually found in Genesis 1.6 and 1.7. We covered that just about two weeks ago. Same number, 384. It's specifically talking about a calendar. Then we, you know, once again, insanely cryptic. Insanely cryptic verse. And what is it telling you about? A calendar. Okay? Does everybody get that? Is that clear? Okay. Once again, purification is what we're talking about here. That's the whole thing. The whole thing is about purification. Okay, let's keep reading. So everybody get that. So there's that parable of Jesus. What's he talking about there, right? He's talking about purification of the heart. doesn't enter into the heart. All of that stuff that comes out is on you. You have to be responsible for it. So then it goes on to say, Mark seven twenty four, and from thence he rose and went into the borders of Tyre and Sidon, and we'll get into, I'll read a little bit and then we'll explain all of this. This is highly astrological. And from thence he rose and went into the borders of Tyre and Sidon and entered into an house. Once again, entered into a house. Once again, telling you exactly what we're talking, this is clues just constantly injected into these verses to tell you exactly where you're supposed to be looking and that is into an house which is the zodiac okay you got to look up at the stars tire inside and Sidon entered into the house and would have no man know it but he couldn't be hid jesus he went he went into this house but you couldn't you couldn't hide him why well because jesus in this representation is represented by the pole star The Polaris, it's the thing that, it's the circum, well, of course, it's the, the entire canopy of the stars revolves around it, right? It's the throne of the heavens. And so you can't hide that. Everybody can see it. For a certain woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit, heard of him, heard of Jesus and came and fell at his feet. Okay. Um, I'll just read this and then we'll go back. The woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by nation specific things they're giving you to help you understand exactly what constellations you're looking at. And she besought him that he would cast forth the devil out of her daughter. But Jesus said unto her, Let the children first be filled, for it is not meat to take the children's bread and cast it unto the dogs. And she answered and said unto him, Yes, Lord, yet the dogs under the table eat of the children's crumbs. What's what's being said here? Right? And he said unto her, For this saying, go thy way. Because you said this, Go. The devil has gone out of thy daughter. You said, the, you, in other words, you said the right thing. You gave the magic password or whatever, right? You answered correctly, which means that I understand that your heart is pure or whatever. The devil's going to be gone out of you. And when she was come to her house, she found the devil gone out and her daughter laid upon the bed. Okay, let's pick this apart a little bit. First off, Tyre and Sidon. These are specific names. Whenever they give you specific names in the Bible like this, Right, you have to go and actually look at what the names mean because that gives you a reference to what exactly is being expressed in the, of course, in the flow of the story. Okay, so Tyre is a rock. It's it's a strong city. It's you know it's bold. It's a rock. The name Tyre, Zor in Hebrew signifies a rock. Okay, so we know that the rock, there's a rock that they're that they're signifying. We also know that Sidon is a fishery or a hunting place to hunt or fish. Now we already looked at this. And I think chapter five, I want to say it was, chapter five, we already looked at this. And this is Beth Sida. So Sidon is a reference to, uh, once again, the same uh, etymology or whatever, right? To hunt or to fish. Okay, so Tyre is a rock, Sidon is to hunt or fish. Well, we're going to see that the rock is the gem in eye. It's the precious stone. It's the gem in I, And that gem in I is actually right by a hunter. And that hunter is what? So Tyre and Sidon. Sidon is a hunting place and Tyre is a rock. So that rock, that gem, that precious stone that's in I, is right by a hunting place. It's right by Orion as we'll see. Okay. And I'll, I'll show you that in just a bit. We'll get back to all this. I want to lay this all out first. And then it says this certain woman who we're going to t- discover is Andromeda. who's a daughter once again, mentions daughter many to- several times. It's a daughter, and this daughter fell at Jesus' feet. Once again, when we look at Jesus' feet in the zodiac, man, what is that? Well, it's Pisces. Pisces is represented by the feet. Okay. So, she was a Syro Phoenician. Syro means she's from Syria. And Phoenician in Greece and Rome, the Phoenicians were famed as traders in purple. Okay, so this is, once again, they're giving you specific language you can de- decrypt what's what's being said in the Bible. Referring to their monopoly on the precious purple dye derived from shells of the muric snails found along its coast. In the Bible, they were famed as seafaring merchants. Once again, where are we right now? We're in the canopy of the stars above. That's the waters above. That's where we are. We're in the sea. Okay, so we're in the sea. So these Phoenicians, these Phoenicians were known as seafaring merchants, and they were also known for their dyes used to color priestly vestments. Purple is an is a color that's that's uh, attributed to royalty, okay? And the Phoenicians, their whole civilization was f- understood to have a, you know, symbolic reference to this. Their dyes were used to color priestly purple garments, priestly, kings, royalty, okay? So this daughter was a Syro-Phoenician and she was of a nation that was royal, traders in purple, priestly vestments, okay? This is Andromeda. Andromeda is the daughter, as we've covered before, Andromeda is the daughter of the king and queen of Ethiopia, being Cepheus, Ethiopia, Ethiopia. Cepheus and Cassiopeia. Cepheus and Cassiopeia are the king and queen. They're the circumpolar constellations. This will all make sense in just a second, I promise you. Circumpolar constellations, you got to build up, right? Um... Circumpolar constellations, Draco, Ursa Major, Ursa Minor, Cassiopeia, Cepheus, and Cassiopeia, and Ursa Major are very noticeable in the sky. Five circumpolar constellations, Cassiopeia and Cepheus, king and queen, gave birth to Andromeda. So there's Andromeda. She's tied. She's, uh, you can see, even right by the bull, the Taurus and the Leo. I think that's Taurus and Leo there, right? Which we just mentioned. Uh, Andromeda, chained, tied. To a mountain, and she is the daughter in Greek mythology. Andromeda is Andromeda is the daughter of Cepheus and Cassiopeia king and queen of ancient Ethiopia. Okay? So she's a daughter of royalty. And that's why we see that she is a Cyro Phoenician. This woman that fell at Jesus' Pisces, she's a Syro, she's a daughter of royalty. That's what they're saying. Daughter, royalty. And they even mentioned daughter. The devil's gone out of thy daughter, her daughter. So they mentioned it several times. Why? why because they're trying to get you to understand where you're looking. So, and that's the stars above. So, once again, I'll get to this in just a second. Now it says, "And Jesus said unto her, let the children first be filled, Mark 7:27, for it is not meet to take the children's bread and cast it unto the dogs." And she answered and said unto him, "Yes, Lord, yet the dogs under the table there's dogs under the table eat of the children's crumbs. There's a daughter of royalty and she's Jesus is asking is like, "Oh no, don't worry. I'm going to give to the children first because the dogs are still going to eat. The dogs are still going to eat. I don't have to give I don't have to take that bread and give it to the dogs. The dogs are still going to eat if I give it to the children. Where are those dogs? The dogs are under the table. There's a constellation that's on the south side of the, the celestial sphere. Sorry, excuse me. Celestial Sphere. And it's a constellation in the Southern Celestial Hemisphere, and it's the Latin name for table, and it's called the Mensa. Okay? It's called the Mensa. So, let's take a look at this, and we'll walk through this step by step. So, we'll get to Decapolis in just a second. Decapolis in just a second. So, we have Phoenician which is a daughter of royalty. And that's exactly what Andromeda is. Phoenician daughter of royalty because she is the daughter of Cassiopeia and Cepheus. And that's in the purple there. And they're pointing to Andromeda. Now Andromeda fell at Jesus' feet, which is that Pisces right there. So fell at Jesus' feet. And because she wanted the devil cast out. And what's the devil? Well, that's Draco. That's Draco. Draco the devil that's constantly circ- circling around the circumpolar constellation, constantly keeping you from your center. and. Andromeda came to Jesus like, get this thing out of me so I can get with you at the center in of everything. Okay. So, and we'll see just the just a second here. The table. And again and again, departing from the coasts of Tyre and Sidon, the rock, the rock, and the fishing place, and the hunting place, the hunting place. He came into the coasts of Galilee in the myths. Okay. So Let's see this, okay, so there's Mensa, there's the table. So once again, this daughter got the bread, which is once again, this is the sustenance, this is the bread of life. If you're eating from the bread of life, nobody goes hungry. The dogs don't go hungry, the children don't go hungry, nobody goes hungry. It's like it's Thanksgiving all the time, it's impossible to go hungry. So she's like, hey, I'll give this to the children and then the children will get the bread of life and then the dogs are gonna eat as well and those dogs run to the table. That's, this is the Southern Celestial Hemisphere, that's a table, okay? By the way, we're right by Galilee. Lee is a protection against the wind, and that's a that's a sail of a vessel. It's A, a, a gal is a gale-forced wind, and a lee is a, is like a protection against the wind. So this is a, a sail against the wind, if you will. That's Vela, which is the constellation. I'll just point that out just there. So there's a table there, southern celestial hemisphere. There's a table, and underneath the table where she's casting those crumbs are the dogs, and that's the constellation Pupis, which is literally where we get the word puppies, Canis Major and Canis Minor, right there. Okay, so this Andromeda, who's on the other side, the northern celestial hemisphere, she's cast. She's taken the bread of life from the very top, and she's she's feeding all the children, and all the children are going. All the the crumbs are going to go under the table, the mensa of the constellation, and feed all the puppies, which is uh, the pupus and the Canis Major and the Canis Minor. Now, mind you, where are they? They're in the coasts of Galilee. Right, or yeah, the other the coast galley, and they're by Sidon and Tyre. Now, Tyre is a rock. Now, what's the rock? It's the gem in I, it's the precious stone in I. And we have Sidon, which is the hunter. And what do you have right there? Orion, the hunter. So, you have Sidon, where they're on the coast of Tyre and Sidon, they have the hunter and the Gemini. Orion and the Gemini. And this, the bread is going to go under the table and feed. All the dogs. 106 people watching this. (laughs) Thank you all for showing up. And again, departing from the coasts of Tyre and Sidon, he came into the Sea of Galilee through the midst of the coasts of Decapolis left Tyre and Sidon and came unto the sea through the midst of the coasts of Decapolis. What's the midst? mitz means in the center of. That's what it means. In the middle of. That's what myths. So he came into the midst. From the from there, he went to the Gemini, Gemini and Orion, Tyre and Sidon, the rock, the gem, the precious stone, and the hunting place. He came from there, past the dogs, and he went to Galilee. Now, Gal- once again, Galilee is a is a um, I should man, I should have had the etymology and definition for this. Sorry, Galilee. Gal Gale is a gale force wind, and a lee is a protected place against the wind. And so we have this place on the ship. Of that's of course if we've talked about this before. Carina, Pupis, Vela is the ship, the Argo Navis, and right there is the Galilee, a place protected from the wind. And where it is he goes? He goes to Decapolis, which is in the midst, in the middle of what? The entire sea, the ocean above. Okay, Decapolis, so there's Decapolis. Now, polis means city, and polis is literally the pole, the center. What are they talking about? This is high mysticism, okay? This is a well-known mystical idea okay and this is the axis mundi and this is the this is so as above so below is what it is At, you know that which is in the stars is also on the earth that which on the earth is also in the stars it's no different the axis the center of all creation this is um, of course this is the Yggdrasil. i think i would say that incorrectly so I, I apologize but the norse mythology is this there's a center pole in all of creation that center pole is reflective of the center pole of you It's just that simple that's why the pole star um, in astronomy, the, this is the axis mundi. Okay, I think that equals 32 in English gematria. Somebody double-check me. Does it? I think so. In astronomy, axis mundi is the Latin term for the axis of the Earth between the celestial poles. In geocentric coordinate system, which is where we live, this is the axis of the rotation of the celestial sphere. We're on, Just as it shows there, there is a celestial sphere. There is a globe! We're, we're on a globe. We're not on a globe, we're in a globe. A celestial sphere a globe that revolves around the flat earth just as all these cosmologies say right geocentric there's an axis point and that axis point is the pole it's the polis it's the city it's the polis and it goes right up to the pole star of Polaris which is the center of the throne or wherever where God is right and he looks down upon all of his creation that center pole reflects the center pole in us and this is something that's well known and, and, and talked about quite a bit in mysticism here. So when we talk about Decapolis, Deca means 10. It's the city of 10. It's your hands. Remember in the beginning of this thing, Deca means 10. The city of 10. That's you. You got 10 down there and you got 10 up here. You got waters above and waters below. Waters above equals 28. Waters below equals 28, by the way. Um, I think, no, it doesn't. Anyway. Um, waters equals 28, excuse me. Waters in English, Camatra equals 28. So 28 up here, 28 down there. Excuse me. Decapolis means, uh, where am I now? The city of 10. When we first started this thing, this was the second line. This is the second line. Mark 7, 2. And when they saw some of the disciples eat bread with defiled, that is to say, comma, with unwashing, comma, hands, comma, they found fault. So either, the, you know, the biblical writers didn't understand basic grammar and basic punctuation or, or not. Or they knew exactly what they were doing. So they're talking about the hands, the Ten, the hands, the Decapolis. We'll see why this is important in just a second. So this is the the, the middle. This is the city. And again, departing from the coast of Sidon, they left Gemini and Orion over there. An House. They entered into An House. That's Gemini. And he left there, and he went to the Galilee, and through the midst of Decapolis, which is the pole in the center, the center which is in you. And then what do they do? After all of this stuff about the hands, Deca 10, and then they bring unto him one that was deaf and had an impediment in his speech. And, And now, was he really deaf in action? This is esoteric. This is, once again... This guy was lost and now he's found. He was dead and now he's alive. He was sick and now he's healed. He had a speech impediment and he couldn't hear. He couldn't hear the word. He couldn't speak the word is what they're saying. Okay, he was sick, and now Christ within him is going to heal him. And they beseech him, they were like, hey, put his put your hands upon this guy. They beseech us to urge. Okay? And he took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers in his ear. Once again, power of the hands. Think about this, the power of the hands. He put his fingers into his ear and he spit. Spitting is, you know what spitting is. It's basically, thats a this is symbolic. You know, it wasn't like Jesus had a wad to chew in or something, right? Spitting is the act of forcibly ejecting saliva, purging, purification. That's what we're talking about here. Spitting is the act of forcibly ejecting saliva or other substances from the mouth. The act of, is often to get rid of unwanted or foul-tasting substances in the mouth. This is symbolic to say, "Oh, I'm going to put my ear or put my fingers, these powerful hands that heal all things into your ears, and I'm going to put my finger on your tongue, touch your tongue, and I'm going to spit and oh, I'm going to purge you. Christ within is going to purge you." And looking up to heaven he sighed and said unto him, "Efatha." Efatha, I think is how you say that. F, and it's three syllables, efatha, efatha. Huh? What is that word? Once again, a specific thing. This is a cryptic. Jesus is giving. This is essentially Jesus casting a spell. A good spell, of course. He's, he's purifying him. He's getting the devil out. He's, you know, he's going to untwist his tongue. But he's saying a word that we don't ever use or ever heard of or anything like that that you have to go and look up. Why? Because they want you to pick apart this word. They want you to look. What does this mean? Okay. I could spend another hour on the math behind this, but I'm not going to. I'm just going to show a few things. Ephatha. And he looked up to heaven, so he put his ear, put his fingers in his ear. He spit, touched his tongue, and he's going to fix him. He's going to be undefiled now. He spit, got him out, purged, purification. Looked up at heaven. He sighed. He's like ah, oh. and saith unto him, Ephatha, that is be opened, be opened. Okay, so what is Ephatha? So Ephatha, when you use English gematria to it, Ephatha, Ephatha. So all all of these are numbers to references to your hands when you break it up in the syllables, right? E, F, fa, th. 14, 14 phalanges of your hands. 10, which by the way, gives you the number 361, which is the monad. That's the number of the monad. We've talked about that. I'm not gonna cover that today. Like I said, I could do a whole thing on just the math of this one word. It's, it's. I had to stop because I was like, we're already at an hour and I, you know, it would be like an hour, just a few things. Uh, so let me say this and then I'll go back f fatha 14 10 and 14 equals 38 total 14 phalanges in your left hand 14 on your right 10 total okay the middle there is 361 that's the monad that's 360 degrees in you it's the monad um this whole f fatha equals 38 the th- I think it's the 38th prime is 163 well that's the middle word one, six, three, one, six, three. So there's, there's all sorts of stuff. Th- this equals 38. Those are the, basically the two numbers that are directly related to your hands. 10 appendages and 28 phalanges being 38. So there's a whole bunch of stuff there, right? 14 phalanges, 14 phalanges, 10 total. And it's all talking about his hands. He's like, put your, they're all like, beseech him. Or they beseeched him. besought him, put your hands on this guy. And he put his hands on him. And then the first, with well, the second verse, they're like, comma, hands, comma, right? And then he says this. So, Ephatha, which means this. Be opened. And be opened in English, Gematria equals 27. And what's Jesus? 27. Do you know how many bones you have in your hand? 27. All numbers of your hands 14 phalanges, 10, 10 appendages total, 27 bones in the left hand, 27 in the right. All referencing, all numbers referencing your hands. Okay, uh, I got about like five minutes here. And straightway his ears were opened, and the string of his tongue was loosed. What does that mean? That means the you know he, he he was no longer tongue-tied. That's what it means. Okay. And straightway his ears were opened. He could now hear the word. He was purified. Christ came in and purified the entire vessel. And the string is now he could no longer he could no longer express the beauty and truth of the world. Oh no, we're gonna untie that tongue, and he spake plain. he he spake the truth plain okay and he charged them that they should tell no man and he charged them that they should tell no man but the more he charged them so much more the great deal they published it as soon as people heard the truth they were like oh we gotta tell everybody am I all glitchy here maybe not okay Uh, but the more he charged them so much the more great a deal they published it it's like no, this is amazing. We need to go tell everybody, and we're beyond measure astonished, saying, "He hath done all things well. He maketh both the deaf to hear, and the dumb to speak." So, what is what is that saying? What's what's the saying there? He purifies all things. Now, if you're dumb, you know, you can you can speak. If you're deaf, you'll be able to hear. If you're sick, you'll be healed. If you're dead, you'll be reborn. If you're lost, you shall be found. Okay? And so this is, somebody had asked this um, before, why does Jesus always wear red and blue? And the heart is often most illustrated with the colors red and blue to signify in the outgoing and incoming blood or distinguishing the blood's oxygenation and deoxygenation. So the the as you'll see, Christ wears red and blue a lot, right? And one of the reasons is because of this. It's a, He signifies the heart. The entire being of Christ is is signifying this purification of the heart, and this is the weighing of the heart ceremony. In, in, there's no difference. The Egypt, Egy, you know, the Egyptians knew ex- the same thing. They they knew Christ. They knew what it was to have a c- completely internally, spiritually pure vessel. Okay. Um. So hence why you see Jesus wearing red and blue. Right. It also references the um, fire by bap or uh, bapt excuse me baptism by fire, red, and baptism by water, blue. Baptism by fire, red. Baptism by water, blue. Okay, that's one of the other things it's referencing. God is with us. He is always with us. It is a bond that may never be broken, may never be severed, and the only way it may and can be lost is if man himself forgoes forgets or abandons this innate knowledge. No religion or belief system has a monopoly on this absolute and undying truth. No tradition of men, <laughs> no tradition of elders, none have a monopoly on God's commandments. Not one. And the ones that do, are, I would say are some of the most possessed. And we could talk about some of those scribes and Pharisees if you don't know understand but... There's other, you know, denominations as well. They're like, well, we're the special boys. We have the light of Christ. You're not in the church.
1: Whew.
0: You sure you want to say that? Is that what's in your heart? No religion or belief system has a monopoly on this absolute and undying truth. The word, trans- the word transcends any written word. The living word that is written in our hearts, it is, it's in the grand book of life. The heart is where the epistle has been written, as it says. The epistle is written in our hearts. The mystery of our creation starts with man, and the answer to that mystery is revealed within man. It's within, not from without, not the externalities. You can't place your blame on those things. Ultimately, it's in here. Within him, within you, exists the immortal and undying divine spark and illumination of the Savior, Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, that's going to do it for me. We're going to play a song at the end here. And uh, thanks again, Marty and Jen. Much love to you. Thank you, small Axe. Uh, I'm going to play a song here. And going to hang out. Church not made with hands. That's right. That's right. And uh, yeah, so that's going to do it. Thank you all for joining me today. Like I said, I'm going to play a song here. But uh, if you want to become a member, I appreciate all the people that have purchased books and signed up. Um, it really helps. It's what this is all I'm doing right now, and hopefully I can keep this going. <laughs> we'll see. I don't know. Uh, hopefully you can keep this going. Uh, so I appreciate everybody that does sign up and, and does the does tithing or donations or anything like that. It means the world to me. So if you go to gnosticacademy.org, you can become a member, part of the fellowship, for five bucks a month, fourteen quarterly, or fifty-four for the year. I like to keep it cheap because I know people are struggling financially and that sort of thing. So, okay, that's gonna do it for me, guys. May you always keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. May his grace be with you all. Amen. Okay, and so next week, I think we might just continue on with Mark. I think it's, it's good. I mean, there, I think there's only, is there only 16 chapters of Mark? I want to say. Maybe more than that, but maybe we'll just do the whole thing and then move on to something else or something. So I don't know. Uh, I haven't decided what we're going to do next week, but it will be fun. It will be educational. So, all right, guys. That's going to do it for me. Um, I will just say, I'm going to play a song. I'm going to be on here if anybody has any questions, and we'll chat a little bit. And But other other than that, that's going to do it for me. I will see you next Sunday. I appreciate every single one of you. I love every single one of you. Thank you so much for, for joining me and allowing me to do this. I, I, it means the world to me. So, um, as always, many blessings and much love to all.